Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest, Kyla Lanier. But first, for more information about the stable of Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee, Washington, and Florida. While you're there, please subscribe. It's totally free to you. Welcome to our People in News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Ms. Lila Lanier. Lanier. Yep. Uh, Ms. Lanier is the Deputy Director and Senior Director of Public Sector Engagement and co-founder of Truckers Against Trafficking. She speaks around the country about TAT's mission and how the trucking industry is combating human trafficking. Kyla also handles social media for TAT, including managing the Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, and YouTube account. She has been involved in the fight against human trafficking since 2007 when she helped initiate the State Coalition Against Trafficking in Oklahoma. TAT team members are passionate abolitionists who commit their time, skill set, energy, and empathy to defeating modern-day slavery and inspire others to follow suit. Team members believe that the inherent nature of the truck, bus, and energy industries, coupled with their willingness to take on this issue, makes them a positive force for good in discovering and disrupting human trafficking networks. She has authored a book called My Life Crazy about her missionary experiences working with gangs in El Salvador in the mid-90s. She was also named a Broken Arrow Public School District Teacher of the Year in 2011, TAT Presidential Award for Extraordinary Efforts to Combat Trafficking in Persons in 2019. I'm pretty sure I covered some good bases there, but we're going to learn a lot more. Hello, Kyla. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And thanks for taking a, some time to talk to us and, and get away from the, your day job, which is far more important. Um, <laughs> but spreading the word is important too. So yep. tell us, how did you get activated into human trafficking of all things uh, to become your cause? Yeah, well, my mother sent my sisters and I a book back in 2007. Um, it's called Not for Sale by David Batstone. It was just a good overview book of Uh, human trafficking, global domestic labor, and sex trafficking, and she insisted that we all read it. So you don't know my mother, but when she tells you to do something, you do it. So we read the book, and I I will say that we were just all shocked. Uh, We all knew injustice was out there. We had all been fighting injustices in different ways through our careers and our personal lives, but we did not realize slavery still existed. And so that started a a family conversation like we need to do something about this and so we started our first organization in 2007 and as we were learning more about the issue learning from the experts already in this work um we sort of focused in on the trucking industry um we thought you know there's over three million of them they're the eyes and ears of our nation's highways they see things other people don't see and if we could train them on this issue we could really make a difference or they could really make a difference, I should say. And TAT was born out of that. That's fantastic. Okay. So you have some partners, of course, can't do something like that. So large all by yourself. How did Beth Jacobs and Kelly Alsobrook, uh, your co-founders, I believe, how did they get activated and make anti-trafficking their life's mission with you? Um, Beth and Kelly are not co-founders. They're actually 
survivors. My my mother and my sisters and I are the co-founders and one of family friends. So we're the co-founders. Um, I'm the last <laughs> full-time employee from the family on our team, actually. But Beth Jacobs was the first survivor leader that Tat hired uh, to work. So she is a uh, she was a sex trafficking survivor. She um, passed away earlier this year. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, she really helped inform a lot of our materials, inform our law enforcement training that I direct. She she and I wrote the first iteration of it and really just being that voice for us, but also coming out and doing trainings, helping make us better, more sensitive to issues that we wouldn't necessarily know about. Kelly Alsobrook has just come on full-time. She's also a survivor of domestic sex trafficking, um, and she works with um, both our uh, coalition build program and our law enforcement training program. Um, and then we have another survivor leader, Liz Williamson, who is a child sex trafficking survivor. She was trafficked by her mom um, and she works in my department and she's just sort of a- an extremely powerful speaker, but she also just, she's like a whiz behind the scenes with all of the a- admin stuff. So they, that is who they are. Wow. Well, Beth Jacobs, I, rest in peace. And I, I didn't know that, but she obviously did a lot of good while she was with you. So that's fantastic to get you to this point. And I'm sure she'll be missed. Yes, she absolutely is missed. Is there anything in particular that that stands out that made her you know, vital to the organization that it wouldn't be what it is today without her? I would tell you that Beth Jacobs made a vital difference in the anti-trafficking movement at large, not just Tat. She she worked with us for um, years and um, definitely helped just teach things and, you know, point out blind spots where, you know, us as allies might just not have that same perspective. And she helped inform a lot of things. But what I would tell you is Beth Jacobs' passion was vacating records because so many people in prostitution are arrested for the crime of prostitution. They're arrested for these concurrent crimes that tend to go with that life, whether that's um, drunken disorderly because, you know, they're numbing out the trauma that's happened to them, theft because their traffickers make them rob as part of, you know, earning that quota. There's a lot of these things. And she's like, she was trafficked for six years, but she had this criminal record that was impacting her until the day she died, right? And so it's like, why should something that she was a victim of have such a an effect? And so she dedicated her life to passing legislation and advocating for legislation that would vacate the re- criminal records of trafficking victims. And she worked tirelessly with a number of organizations fighting this. Wow, that's that's huge for all those people to, to become victims and then survivors and then have a cleaner record for their future. That's yeah. a part, part of survival. Wow. Well, um, you have some comrades out there in this fight, of course. Uh, Tim Tebow said recently that that most Americans don't know the magnitude of what's going on right in their own backyard. Our biggest heart right now is with this unknown campaign because in one of the law enforcement databases, there is at least 50,000 boys and girls that have been abused in such severe ways. And also, nobody has been able to identify or locate them. Do you have any uh, comments on that in terms of what you see day to day? I'm not aware of the unknown campaign, but what I would what I would say is we have a massive issue within the United States of just um, using people 
and commodifying people, whether that is um, treating people as second-class citizens, not paying them, and then buying cheap products. And we think, oh, great, we can have more and more things because we have these cheap products, but it's coming off of labor exploitation, labor trafficking, and exploiting people that have vulnerabilities. But also within the commercial sex industry, we have a massive issue. And both children and adults are at massive risk. If you look at the stats on prostitution in this country, you're looking at about 98% of the people are there through either force fraud or coercion or lack of other viable options, meaning 98% of people in prostitution do not want to be there and they are victims of this crime. That's It's a very tiny percentage. And then you do look at familial trafficking um, and that is, that's a significant issue in this country. We saw an increase um, during the opioid epidemic, and then certainly exasperated by the pandemic. And that's grandparents, parents, uncles and aunts, siblings selling their own family members for rent, for food, for drugs, and sometimes just for a certain type of lifestyle, right? And so there, even though the pandemic has subsided, we have not seen a drop in those numbers. And so there are children being churned up in this situation. And, and what I would like to point out is, you could have all the sellers of the world, right? Like you could have all the traffickers of the world, but if no one was buying, they'd go somewhere else. They wouldn't right. be selling people. It is the demand for commercial sex that is absolutely 100% the, the root issue in this crime. People that are willing to exploit, abuse, use, and commodify their fellow man. Wow. So the demand obviously is there and they have to come up with the supply. Yeah. Um, our senator here in Tennessee, I'm talking to you from Tennessee, um, U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn sent a letter to Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra detailing the department's neglect of unaccompanied migrant minors and requesting any documentation he has received on the potential exploitation of 85,000 children who have gone missing under the Biden administration's watch. Uh, A, do you agree with that number, 85,000 missing? I, I, I don't think those numbers have been necessarily substantiated. Um, I think that we've had an issue at the border, certainly, um, and the undocumented population is a vulnerable population that traffickers will certainly exploit. I do not think, I, I, I will just say right here, there is a lot of talk uh, about, you know, it's the, the elites that are doing the trafficking. It's the media that's covering it up. It's the Hollywood, it's politicians or whatever. That's not what we're seeing in the anti-trafficking movement. That's not what we're seeing um, in cases around. It is family members. It is. And the vast majority of sex trafficking victims in the U.S. are U.S. citizens. And the vast majority of buyers and traffickers in the U.S. are U.S. citizens. So, mm. I just sort of like to pull it back to that. Is the undocumented population and people coming across the border either as refugees or as undocumented um, uh, individuals, are they a target audience for traffickers? Sure, because they can exploit them because of those vulnerabilities that exist. But what I would tell you is, I think that this is just sort of like things that have gotten out of hand and, and been talked about, but that's not the evidence that law enforcement sees. That's not the evidence that... Um, those of us in the movement are seeing that's not what survivors in, in this movement and leaders in this movement are seeing. It's just not, that's just not really the reality. Mm. That's good to know because I do know that over 250,000 unaccompanied minors who crossed the southern border over the last two years, just that we know about, 
could be many magnitudes more. And obviously they need to be transported as you know, we're talking about truckers uh, wherever they are going and they don't have an income, they don't have a way to, 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 to feed themselves. Obviously that, like you said, they'd be easy prey, but you're saying, I think um, that they would be more inclined to be citizens who are just abducted. Maybe how, how do you get notified when somebody does become a victim of trafficking? Well, we don't get notified. I mean, we're not law enforcement, but what I would tell you is most trafficking victims know their traffickers, whether that's a family member, whether that's somebody that they've met online that they're conversing with, whether it's a boyfriend or girlfriend um, situation, whether it's a teacher. Um, there are documented cases of their pastors, their youth pastors trafficking girls out of their youth groups, um, teachers trafficking their students. Um, uh, a lot of the boyfriend, girlfriend, or parental figures that are stepping in. You have former firefighters. So, so you tend to know your trafficker. Rarely does it happen that somebody is abducted, yes, and thrown into it. Of course, of course that happens. Um, the worst kinds of things that you hear about, all of those can happen. But if you're looking at the general populace of trafficking victims, they know their trafficker. They are lured in. Um, they are, they believe that coercion is the, it's force fraud or coercion that have to be proved in a trafficking case. If they're over 18, if they're under 18, you don't have to prove those, but coercion is the one that's most often used. And it's the threats, threats against you. If you don't do this, I'm going to make your little sister do it. I'm going to tell your parents, uh, look at you. You're such a horror. I'm going to show this to everybody at your school because they'll film them. Right. Black so man. it's it's the threats. It's the threats of um, to the reputation, to their family members and to their own physical bodily harm. Right. That's that's what's really used. And then, yeah, force and fraud can come into play, of course. But what I would tell you is coercion is the one that is most often used either on its own or in conjunction with one or both of the other two. So you're looking at a heavily in the U.S., a heavy U.S. population mostly that know their traffickers, a lot of adults, because traffickers have figured out that they're going to get a way worse sentence if they get caught with a minor that they're trafficking. So they'll wait till they're 18. And then people, what do we do in this country? Our concern is most, mostly for the kids instead of that 18 year old. And I'm sorry, at 18, you're pretty not fully wise, right? Yeah, I mean, our sure. 18 and 19 year olds get into a lot of stuff all the time, right? But mm -hmm. there's a cutoff for a lot of sympathy. So what I would tell you is there is a, there are just a ton of trafficking victims that exist that probably don't appear to be victims from the outside looking in, but they are absolutely victims of this crime. Interesting. Cause you think, well, what do you think? Do you think movies like the new one, Sound of Freedom, that's sort of the blockbuster darling of the summer, really bring awareness to the issue and can help affect change? Or are they just for-profit enterprises really not focusing the attention on the right story? Because that was children in Latin America. That wasn't necessarily yeah. what you're talking about, which is 18-year-olds on the streets of Seattle and Tennessee. Right. And that's where I think the issue comes in with that film. Um Sound of Freedom, they are focused on child sex trafficking in foreign countries. That's what the movie's about. And that is happening, obviously. You know, that's one way that it's happening in these types of brothels, you know, with very young children being exploited that way. Of course, yes, that happens. I think for the populace that that's their only exposure to human trafficking, right? Then there's sort of this conflation of the issue with how it presents here in this country. And so I know that 
we have been inundated with people thinking it's a certain way, you know, because they watched the movie. And and really it's it's sort of that re-education, but also saying, great, I'm glad that you have this passion. I'm glad that you want to do something about it. And we're directing them to direct service providers in their own states, right? Like that they can provide, hey, this group is actually working with survivors. They have ongoing needs that the survivors are going to have. And so you can supply those types of things. Your church group can get involved and do these things that are wildly needed and definitely appreciated. So that's that's where we're trying to focus that attention. But what I would say is, I think movies, you know, you have to always take a Hollywood movie with a bit of a grain of salt because they have to make it entertaining, right? Um, what I would tell you is the vast majority of victims will present as criminals. I mean, I train cops all around this country and in Canada, and I always tell them, you know, they're going to be coming at you looking more like a criminal than a victim. You've got to look past that because that's still a victim. What you're dealing with is the trauma. And I think that movies can set up that we're only looking for a very specific type of victim, that perfect little innocent child victim, and we are missing 90% of trafficking victims in this country because of it. And and I don't ever want that to happen because when I think of my friend Beth, she was trafficked from 16 to 22, right? Nobody ever asked her, when was the last time you saw your family? Nobody ever asked her if she needed help. Nobody ever helped her. She escaped on her own, right? And I'm just like, I don't want Beth's ignored because of a focus on something that's not really the full reality or the full picture. And unfortunately, that, that's what people tend to gravitate to interesting very interesting yeah it sounds like on a bell curve there's be more in the 16 to 20 range than it would be the infants that we are worried yeah. about or the well that'd be about it and, but... and that happens i don't want to i don't know but percentage wise it's smaller children. yeah right yeah yes and, and Every, I everybody's vulnerable but the, the the if you look at the statistics the bulk is is there in the in the minor to adult. Uh, yes, exactly right. So who yeah. in the U.S. government has gotten behind your charity and, and helped with, say, legislation? Um, so because we work with the transportation industry, we do work with the uh, U.S. Department of De Department of Transportation, sorry, and the FMCSA, which is the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, which is the regulatory arm of the U.S. DOT. We also work with um, State Department of Transportation, State Department of Motor Vehicles. Um, we work with state patrols. So those are the government agencies that we work with. We've also passed legislation in a number of states for um, human trafficking training at the commercial driver's license school level. So truck drivers and bus drivers, before they ever get out of school, they are being trained on human trafficking and what to look for. So that's, we're not like a lobbying agency, TAT isn't. So our our focus with state agencies and, and U.S and federal agencies is very specific to transportation. But um, yeah, I, I would say that starting back with George W. Bush, he passed some of the first legislation related to human trafficking. Obama also started, um, you know, the Transportation Leaders Against Human Trafficking and put forth quite a number of initiatives. Um, Donald Trump also um, passed FOSTA-SESTA 
and gave some money during COVID, uh, quite a bit of money in, during COVID to some anti-trafficking direct service providers. And then you have Biden that has um, also reignited the Department of Transportation's uh, Human Trafficking Advisory Committee. And so I think since George W. Bush, every presidential um, administration has done something to further the cause to combat human trafficking. That's good. Uh, here in Tennessee, we just finished today a, a special session, uh, total mess, but an annual child trafficking report was requested of the TBI, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, every December 1st. Um, I think we already know there is a problem in all 95 counties, or at least we have on this show. Most people don't know that, uh, but the numbers keep rising. What do you make of state laws being looked at or passed this year that have teeth, not just Tennessee, but all over? And then I, I've got two specific states I want to ask about. I think that um, the legislation that has teeth that I really am liking, at least the initial conversations and the trends are making buying commercial sex a felony across the board. You start to do that, you're going to put an end to demand. It's a misdemeanor. So even those agencies that are going after and doing reverse stings or AKA John stings, right, where they're going after the buyer, they're frustrated because they know that it's the demand that's the issue. But then because it's only a misdemeanor on the books, it's just like a slap on the wrist and they can go home, right? So by making commercial buying commercial sex a felony and there's several states looking at that 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 is where we're going to start to put a crimp in this crime and that is where all focus needs to be um so i think that that's probably the best one right now i also think you know it's important to uh really mandate practical policing training um across this country and to fund it not just say have it but like to fund practical policing training on human trafficking, because it is staggering how few agencies actually have the money to bring that kind of training in. And that's, it, it's ridiculous. And, you know, our training is free. Um, if the agency can pay our, um, our airfare and hotel, like that's all we charge. Just like help us get there and we'll do the training, but they need beyond what TAC can provide. They need you know, past prosecutors and detectives that work these cases in their training. So I think that those are the types of legislation that are probably the ones that can have the most impact in the short term. Okay. So here in Tennessee, uh, TAT gets involved with a partnership uh, that includes full adoption of the Iowa MVE model, uh, conducted five trainings of the Tennessee Highway Patrol, at least the last time from the records I got here, and all school bus drivers will be trained with BOTL. What are MVE, Iowa Model, yeah. Highway Patrol Training, and BOTL? Okay, so the Iowa MVE model, that's not legislative. That's just in a, it's a model um, that we co-created with Chief Lorenz and out of the Iowa DOT. And currently we have 49 states that have adopted it. 41 states have adopted it in full, Tennessee being one of them. So this, I'm working with state patrol, the commercial vehicle enforcement element of your state patrol. So the guys that are interacting with commercial vehicles, trucks and buses. And so it is passing out wallet cards um, at way stations and ports of entry as trucks are coming in for their weight, that they get their inspection report. They also get a wallet card or to add the tap messaging onto the inspection report itself. It's at the DMV when somebody comes in for a commercial driver's license, getting 
you know, uh, awareness materials about that training your law enforcement on human trafficking. And so we have a four hour in-person law enforcement training, and we did conduct a number of those with Tennessee Highway Patrol, um, focusing on, you know, some of the guys specifically that were um, working with the commercial vehicle industry. Bottle is our busing on the lookout program. So we work with um, both transit and motor coach, but also school buses, because you think about all those familial trafficking victims. Those kids go to school during the day. They're trafficked at night on the weekends and on holidays, right? So if their school bus drivers start to notice changes or notice that they're um, being picked up by different people at the bus stop or, you know, all of a sudden they have things or they're feeling neglected or there's just noticeable changes. They can report those things because they've been trained on this crime, right? So uh, Tennessee Highway Patrol actually has purview over every school bus driver, uh, their, their training their annual training. And so they have shown our school bus curriculum to every school bus driver in the state of Tennessee, which is awesome. That is awesome. And then obviously there's 50 states to choose from, but I just picked out two because Steve, <laughs> my producer is sitting over there coughing in Washington. Um, you do, they did adopt the same Iowa MBE model, which is good, but you also had Washington state patrol. That's what they call them. Uh, their highway patrol has conducted five undercover operations with the trucking industry without blowing anybody's cover. What, what went on with that? Yeah, so we worked with the Washington Trucking Association and they contacted um, trucking companies that are member companies. And so they lent uh, commercial vehicles to Washington State Patrol officers um, and they went out and did these ops at truck stops and rest areas where there was um, reported prostitution activity. And they took out survivor leaders, survivor advocates with them so that any... Um, person in prostitution that they, um, you know, apprehended, oh. uh, they weren't arrested. They were immediately ushered into an area where they were given food, water, and the survivor lead leaders spoke with them and offered services and really just sort of helped cut through all of that noise to get them connected to services and help. And they were going after the buyers and the traffickers on those undercover ops, which was really exciting. So they were able to arrest a number of perpetrators and they were able to connect a number of um, survivors or victims, I should say, to services. Amazing. Uh, so back to Tennessee, um, I found it interesting during this regular session, they also, uh, during the regular session, not the special session, they passed toll lanes. Okay, so we're, now we're gonna talk about trucking a little bit. Uh, we have to call them choice lanes, of course, because you know we're we're, we're politically correct here. We can't say tolls. But the argument was that since so many trucks passed through the state from Georgia and Alabama and on their way you know, from California and Arizona, it's actually the out-of-state folks paying the tolls on our roads. Do you think that helps or hurts the trucking industry? And if the trucking industry is hurting, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so maybe you think it's helping, but if it's hurting, would that lead them more to look for these disgusting alternative revenue sources like trafficking? Um, what I would, I would say is, I mean, I am not 1000% familiar with all of the tolling regulations, but my friend, Chris Maxwell, who's the president of the Rhode Island Trucking Association, I know he fought successfully against toll roads, only extracting um, tolls from trucking because here's what I will say. 
it hurts the trucking companies because the individual truck driver, unless they're an owner operator, they're not paying their own tolls. They're not paying for their gas. They're being paid a salary and the company's paying for that because it's the company's truck. And it's the company's load. They're on salary like you and I are with our jobs. They're on mm -hmm. salary. So it'd be the trucking company that's receiving um, the added toll roads. And that does hurt their bottom line because, um, you know, it's a it's a tough industry, right? And there's just, it's, it's a tough industry. So I, I think it would hurt their bottom line, but the people that would actually be receiving those bills are not necessarily the ones out there driving. So do I think there's a causation of they have higher tolls or they get hit here and there. So they're going to turn to trafficking or smuggling people. No. Um, I think what ends up happening, unfortunately, is the smaller companies go bankrupt um, and they end up not being able to haul. And then we have more of a shortage on logistics and a slowdown of getting our loads places, which affects our grocery stores, which affects, you know, our, you know, malls, which affects every business that requires parts coming in. So I think it's um, short-sighted to um, only leverage the trucking industry to basically take on, you know, everybody's infrastructure because- yeah. Ultimately, they haven't even all been, depend on the industry. They haven't even been implemented yet, and and I didn't I didn't see them as a list of one of your sponsors. But this month, Yellow Trucking went out of business, and that's a Nashville based company with yeah. thirty thousand jobs, and they were given COVID funds like seven hundred thousand dollars, but still couldn't survive. Um, so is that gas price or inability to find drivers? Or, or why do you think they went broke? I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak to why, but I mean, if you just look at the economy, I mean, there's a lot of businesses that are hurting and um, in the trucking industry, there's been a, a many years long driver shortage. And then I think that there are like really high, I think you can go to any city in this, you know, country and see billboards for been in an accident with a big truck. Let's go after them, right? And so they have to have crazy insurance. And if you look at the stats, I mean, the vast majority of accidents that occur with a commercial vehicle, it's not the commercial vehicle's fault. Now, are there incidences where it is? Yes, absolutely. But a lot of times it's not. And they're still sued because there's just like these specialty ambulance chasing lawyers that go after them. And, you know, the insurance rates are so high. It's sort of like that malpractice for doctors, right? The insurance rates are so high, who gets passed on the prices? But with these companies, I think the trucking industry just has a thousand and one regulations on them at all times. And then all of these extra fees through tolling and infrastructure and, oh, let's just throw that on the trucking industry to pay or, or whatever. I think all of that just, you know, sort of conspires and depending on what's going on in a particular company, yeah. you know, it can. Ye Yellow is also problem. one of, well, was one of multiple shipping companies that were sued by the federal government for allegedly overcharging the Department of Defense for shipments. Uh, it was said knowingly overcharging the government is an affront to American taxpayers and the Department of Justice will seek to ensure that those who engage in such misconduct are held accountable. Assistant Attorney General Jody Hunt of the Department of Justice Civil Division said in a DOJ press release on the matter in 2018. So the prices you're talking about that have been just piled on top and on top and on top probably made yellow's bankruptcy pretty inevitable. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to have somebody from yellow on because like I, you know, I, I work 
I work for TAT. I, our focus is human trafficking. So like, that's where my expertise is. I've sat in a lot of trucking meetings, so I've heard different things. And so I'm like opining on here and there what I've heard, but this stuff is beyond the mission and purview of, of TAT. Yeah. What I was kind of thinking or getting at probably awkwardly is that if these are your frontline troops and now there are 30,000 less of them, and obviously there's some office workers in that number, but less trucks on the road doing what you're doing at higher prices, making the supply and demand more expensive for shipping, et cetera. That's less people out there on the front lines looking for trafficking to help what you're trying to do. Um, do, do you agree with that? Or do you think you've got enough labor force out there with the eyes on to, to make a dent? My in hope is that those truck drivers that were working for Yellow will be absorbed by the rest of the industry that has a driver shortage. And that they will be back on the road, but in different trucks. That that would be my hope. Um, and for the office workers, I would hope that they can find jobs within the industry because the trucking industry is one of the biggest industries in this country. So I would assume that they would be absorbed if that is what they are looking to continue to work on just for a different company. Mm. And I would assume that those yellows trucks and all of their assets will probably be bought by other companies that are just going to expand that are in a healthier fiscal position. Mm, and hopefully the drivers as well, that would make things light. Uh, yeah. Up. I mean, like I said, there's a driver shortage. So right. I am sure those drivers will have plenty of job offers if that is what they choose to, to stay in. Good. Um, and then NAFTA, which happened in the nineties, um, which opened the borders for goods and services uh, made loosen that up. Do you think that was part of the, the, the the epidemic or the explosion of, of trafficking when interstate mobility was made easier for these trucks? I, I you know, not long lines of everybody getting inspected. You think it had anything to do with that? Um, no, because I think that you know what I would tell you is that sort of bordering on the conflation with smuggling, human smuggling, most trafficking victims are not being trucked places. Um, If they were, they'd be a passenger in a truck and that trucker might be either a buyer or possibly trafficking a family member or um, a girlfriend, boyfriend that they've picked up along the way. Right. So, um, but they would be in the cab and there are regulations that require that they have permission from their company to have a passenger in a commercial working vehicle. But they're not typically, I'm, I'm not saying that it could never happen, but it's, it's really not typical and not something that you hear about that trafficking victims would be hauled around in a truck. So I don't think NAFTA really impacted that. Um, What I would say is we are operating in Canada and we also have a group of partners in Mexico that we work with um, and they have replicated our model. It's called Guardianes del Asfalto or Guardians of the Asphalt. And so we, knowing that NAFTA exists, we want to train truckers all across North America and really close those loopholes across borders to traffickers that would seek to um, exploit, um, you know, international lines. But Hmm. again, it's really just, and on all of our wallet cards, we have the Canadian, the Mexican and the U.S. national hotline. So um, we are absolutely saying no matter where you are, we want you to report it if you see it. And that's why we're working with these hotlines and with the, the industries in these countries, because if everybody's looking for it, right, they can't, the traffickers can't just, oh, well, the Canadians aren't aware. So let's just move up our operations to Canada or right there on the border. No, we're going to train the Canadian drivers too. 
we don't want it to happen there either. And, you know, oh, we'll just move it down to the border area in Mexico. And then, you know, they won't know we're going to train them too. So, you know, I see it as more of an opportunity than an issue. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad you made a distinction between smugglers and traffickers. I went to the Department of State website in preparation for this uh, interview, uh, and they did a 2022 trafficking report. Uh, they do one every year, human trafficking, and they defined it. The Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2000, as amended, TVPA defines severe forms of trafficking in persons as sex trafficking in which a commercial sex act is induced by force, fraud, or coercion, which you said earlier, or in which the person induced to perform such an act has not attained 18 years of age, or the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or obtaining of a person for labor or services through the use of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of subjection to involuntary servitude, peonage, debt bondage, or slavery. So um, I guess since I have you here, how does how do you train truckers to identify those type of things? I mean, they're not seeing what's happening in a in a hotel room per se, but how do they how, how do you train them to perceive what's happening that somebody is being trafficked? Right. So on the sex trafficking side, the way that it might be happening in areas that an over-the-road truck driver might see it would be if a car pulls in, drops somebody off, um, and then comes uh, drops them off at a truck. Person gets in the truck. The driver leaves, like the car driver leaves, comes back 15 minutes later to pick them up. That's the trafficker dropping off the victim to the buyer. And then they're doing the sex act. And then they're coming back and picking them back up uh, because they'll, they'll run a lot of their ads online, right? And so you purchase online and then they bring you to that location because you're communicating online. Um, it could be an RV or a van or a passenger car that's parked out back by the commercial vehicles. Um, why is the passenger vehicle back there? Typically, they stay up by the store, um, especially if they're sleep staying over the night. They're, they're up by the store where the lights are, where it seems a little bit safer, not back by the commercial vehicles. And so one case that we had, um, there was an RV parked out back. This was in Virginia. Um, truck driver was watching it. He thought it looked weird, out of place. It had dark curtains. At one point, um, he said a young woman looked outside of the window of the RV. She was yanked back and the curtain was pulled. He called law enforcement. When they got in that RV, they found um, this young woman and the traffickers were like, oh yeah, come on in. They were like friendly, weren't worried about anything. Um, when they got the young woman out of the RV, cause she made a face, like, get me out of here when they were distracted. Um, and so they removed her from the vehicle. She was 20 years old. She had been, um, taken out of Iowa. She knew them. They knew her family. They were, they were all known to her. Um, they had beaten her, raped her, burned her entire body with instruments that they had heated on the RV stove. They had branded her. Um, she had managed to run away early on um, in her captivity. They found her, dragged her behind the RV, took nails and jammed them up the bottoms of her feet and ripped the bottoms of her feet so she couldn't run away. Oh. They were starving her. They hadn't given her anything to drink. They had threatened to kill her family if she talked to law enforcement. They had been pulled over twice and she hadn't. So that's why they weren't scared when the officers in Virginia came into the RV um, and they were selling her for sex through ads that they posted on Craigslist through her phone. So it looked like she was posting ads of herself and men were purchasing her online and then coming to that RV to rape her. 
And doctors said that had that truck driver not called law enforcement, she would have died within the next couple of days due to the malnutrition and the extreme torture that she had suffered. And that is what it can look like in this country. And so if they see something like that, like Kevin Kimmel did and make that call, right? We've also heard from them that traffickers are sending girls in under the guise of selling perfume or magazines, right? Because there's been more training. They're not coming in. They'll be dressed in jeans, a little backpack or whatever. So they look like schoolgirls. Oh, we're selling these magazines. Oh, we're selling this perfume. And then when they engage in a conversation, they'll say, we're also selling, right, um, in order to sort of disguise it. And so being aware of that, if it is, um, you know, somebody's going back to a central location, a car or inside the store and giving something and then leaving again that's typically the trafficker that's sitting out there um and they're just sort of exchanging money so there's there's a lot of different signs if there's cb chatter about commercial company again when you look at the stats on prostitution most people in prostitution are there against their will wow yeah some evil evil stuff out there no question about it um of the 1169 defendants charged in u.s district court with human trafficking offenses in fiscal year 2020 92 percent were male 63% were white, 18% black, 70% were Hispanic, 95% were U.S. citizens, 66% had no prior convictions. At year-end 2020, for the 47 states that reported data, 1,564 persons were in the custody of a state prison serving a sentence for a human trafficking offense. 19.5% of truckers are women, and 80.5% of truckers are men, white men, 55.6%, Hispanic or Latino, 18%, Black or African American, 13.7%. Since 2010, whites are down 10% from 65 to 55, as I said, and Hispanics are up four from 14 to 18% since 2010, 11 years for that, that, that math. Um, blacks have stayed consistent in the 13%. Uh, do you think from your experiences that that uh, demographics in any way shape or form on the road help your effort i mean is this a, a white male hero type of scenario or anything to glean from that no i mean i would say you know when we started tat you know in our everyday heroes needed motto right it was really tapping into because most drivers are male really tapping into what I think is inherently in most men, which is a protector, right? It is somebody that will stand up for someone that is being hurt and abused, that will defend someone who is powerless and vulnerable. And that is what we are going after. So while I absolutely love women drivers and 100% train them, you know, we we love to activate them. We want them to call just as much. Um, noting that the vast majority of truck drivers are men 100% was tapping into that natural instinct of men to protect. And all of that came from the national trafficking hotline and the white house says over 99% of trafficked individuals trapped in forced sexual exploitation are, as you say, women, um, the uptick in Hispanics and the decline of, of whites in there. Have you seen, because this is a, as that grows, the growth of trafficking in America has grown. Have you seen a, a more vibrant participation in a Latin culture to help you find traffickers versus what it was a smaller percentage in the past? Does that make sense? I'm not trying to be racist. No, I'm mean, just saying, do they have a more uh, 
participatory um, in the trucking business with what you're trying to accomplish? What I would what I would say is I think there's because of the driver shortage, there's been an active recruitment in minority groups, more active recruitment in minority groups. And so we're starting to see those numbers shift. And I think that that's great. So there are um, minority trucking association groups that we freely send materials to. Um, we want everybody trained to do it. But I would say across race, across ethnicity, across um you know, most cultures, even I would say men as a general rule want to protect. And so that's going to be Hispanic men. That's going to be black men. That's going to be white men. That's going to be Asian men. If you tell them the truth that these are victims that do not want to be there, most men don't want to rape somebody. Most men don't want to abuse somebody. Most men don't want to cause harm. And so if they know that what they are doing is inherently causing harm, most men will stop. And that's, you know, I can't stop the one that's hell bent on buying. I can't stop the one that's hell bent on exploiting somebody. But if I can activate the nine guys around him to stop him, that's power. And that's, that is Tat's messaging. And that's been Tat's strategy and goal from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Activate the bystander, activate those who might not have known the truth before, and they will make a difference. And they are and they have been proving us right. They are making a difference. They have been making a difference and they will continue to make a difference. All right. I just got a few more minutes with you and uh, I want to make sure your slogan, think about who you know within the trucking industry, drivers, management, mechanics, et cetera, and tell them about TAT. So after listening to this, everybody tell them about TAT. Um, Winco Foods driver, Joe Aguayo, 2023 Harriet Tubman Award presented by Protective Insurance, uh, presented by you all. Tell us about that award, Protective, and what their involvement is and how Mr. Aguayo, Aguayo became aware of you and what he did to win it. Yeah, so uh, the Harriet Tubman Award is the highest award TAT gives, and we give it out to a member of one of the industries we work with, Truck Buster Energy, who um, prevent or intervene in a trafficking case. And Protective Insurance sponsors that award. Um, it's $2,500, uh, two tickets up to Indianapolis for their gala, and then tickets to the Indy 500, and you know, just a, a lovely awards presentation. Um, but Joe was on a very rural, like no phone service area in the middle of winter driving. And he saw a woman that was obviously very shaken and was just wearing like a towel over her. And he became extremely concerned. Um, he had a company policy that they had a strict company policy. Nobody could be in their truck. So he drives immediately to the first phone because there's pay phones on this rural road, calls for help. Um, and make sure that they get to her. Um, we talked to the law enforcement officer that immediately went out there. This was not the first woman that had been left like this. But this was part of apparently a much larger um, trafficking ring. And he was able to get her to the hospital, get her the help that she needed, etc. Joe ran into that law enforcement officer a couple months later on a completely unrelated incident and was asking about her. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm the officer that responded. So that's how sort of the story emerged. Mm -hmm. Um, of what he did, but um, just seeing her not ignoring her did know that it was most likely trafficking or some type of sexual crime that had occurred and really wanted to get her help. And he found out about Tat through his company who trained um, all of their drivers with our free training resources. There you go. A case study. Um, and I know we're out of time, but I, I want to shout out to these guys. Jake 
Eloverta, Director of Enforcement Programs at the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, received the 2022 TAT Champion Award in the association category on behalf of the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance. What did that gentleman do? Yeah, so Jake and I work um, on our human trafficking prevention program within CVSA or the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance. Uh, that is commercial vehicle enforcement officers from all over Canada, the U.S. and Mexico. So it's a huge organization. And so uh, we awarded the CVSA our TAT Champion Award last year for just really promotion of TAT, um, helping us expand the Iowa MVE model to as many states as we have. That has come through the influence and the leveraging of partnerships through CVSA. And then just starting the Human Trafficking Prevention Program. As part of that, we've launched a Human Trafficking Awareness Initiative every January in this country, where last or this year, sorry, in January, we had 45 jurisdictions participate in just a blitz of the commercial vehicle industry during that week of getting out awareness of human trafficking. So I mean, it's just really exciting to see the alliance saying this is part of commercial vehicle safety. This is something that we believe in and really throwing their weight behind it. And so that was a much deserved reward uh, award. And I was thrilled to be able to give it to Jake because he's my he's my guy. Awesome. And the global courier express and parcel market is 372 billion US dollars. So it's a serious uh, thing going on every day. And for those that are interested or wary of these type of charities um, with high overhead, you got a 95 out of 100 from Charity Navigator, which is a four-star rating. So congratulations for keeping it lean and mean and making it totally worth everybody's uh, donation dollars. So we are at the end here. I really appreciate everything that you guys are doing. You are real heroes, real life heroes. Uh, Tell everyone where they can go. Your website is loaded with information. So there's a lot more there that I couldn't even get to. Tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you maybe social media, and definitely about TAT. Yeah, so we are on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and X, aka Twitter. Um, And then uh, you can go to our website, which has a ton of all of our materials, all of our training videos, um, and a lot more information, truckersagainsttrafficking.org. And again, all of our uh, training materials are free of charge to um, any member of the commercial vehicle industries that we work with and the energy industry. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for coming on with us and keep keep on, keep it on. God bless you. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you're like me and sick of the woke, unfunny content coming out of Hollywood these days and looking for something new and exciting, I found the website for you, movienight.com. The folks at movienight.com, that's movienight, one word, .com, has the first universal loyalty program that offers businesses like yours the opportunity to attract customers with their exclusive lineup of world-class titles. Titles like Daddy Daughter Trip with Rob Schneider, Triumph with Terrence Howard, and Nefarious, last year's blockbuster hit. Movie Night was founded to positively impact society through media. Check it out at movienight.com and enjoy the show. I don't Welcome to the Steven C segment of our show where we cover what we just heard. Boy, did we hear a lot. Producer Steve, what did you think of our guest, Kyla Rainier from Oklahoma and Truckers Against Trafficking? 
What a wonderful organization. And I'm glad she and her family said there's a need. And thank God that he works through books and people who work through other people who work through other people to start these organizations and think about the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of truckers since the time they started back in 2007 and eventually last uh, launched uh, Trucker, Truckers Against Trafficking, that they've positively affected. And I, she probably, you know, we don't know how many young ladies, women have been pulled out of that industry because of this organization. And she'll probably know when she gets to the other side that the Lord's going to reveal, look, look what you did. And, and all the truckers involved who are calling up and saying, hey, I think there's something going on here. Yeah. And state patrol or sheriff or somebody shows up. And and uh, I am so glad because that is... The, not, all, not all heroes wear a cape, as no, they say. No, no. So thanks for bringing her on. What a wonderful... Yeah. Well, thanks, Steve. So, yep. so here we are, end of August. School's back for most and summer is over. It was a great summer. Lots of new listeners, great guests in July and August. I hope you go back and listen to them if you missed any. Uh, the CEO show had some great guests with great business tips you can use in your own business. And, uh, you know, the tide has turned a little bit in some places to clean up their cities. So unlike the summer of love two years ago, uh, you know, the riots. So their citizens can pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is what we all care about, without as much fear of getting hurt or worse. Let's start with this city, this story out of my former city, your current city, Seattle. We begin tonight with breaking news in Seattle's Rainier Beach neighborhood. Police are investigating a shooting right now at the Safeway on Rainier Beach Avenue and 52nd Avenue. King 5's Julie Calhoun joins us live from the scene right now. Julie, you spoke to some witnesses who were in the area when the shooting happened. Uh, what are they hearing? Sebastian, so in the last 30 minutes, witnesses say they heard upwards of 20 gunshots. Witnesses also say multiple people were shot in this parking lot. You can see that it is completely blocked off. A large police presence. That police presence has lowered just a bit within the past 10 minutes, but police still out here collecting evidence and piecing together what exactly happened. Seattle Police Chief Adrian Diaz is here. We are expecting an update from Seattle Police here shortly because as of now, still a lot of unanswered questions. So that grocery store is located at 9200 Rainier Avenue South. Police were asking people to stay out of the area. At Russell B said on Twitter, I was in my yard maybe a mile away and could hear, I'd guess, 30 shots. I stopped counting at 15. I thought it was all from one gun. It sounded like an AK sounds in modern video games, heavy, evenly spaced shots. There is a police shooting range within earshot, and I can hear all kinds of guns being shot there, but I could tell this was much closer. Sad to hear it was from the Safeway and during a charity event. When I was there, I heard it was Safeway, and one I actually know pretty well because I used to be the president of a charity around the corner from that one. Mm. Couldn't help but think of that when I read these articles this week. Walgreens in Memphis use classical music for cloud control. Clip number two, please. With the rise in crime, we've seen businesses take all sorts of measures trying to prevent crime. We've told you about stores putting up special glass, metal pylons to prevent smash and grab burglaries. Well, now some stores are trying a, a whole new security measure. Yeah. 
classical music. This is a stretch, I tell you. Fox 13's Jack Bill, you is live at the Walgreens at Union and Pauline tonight. Jack, I don't know that I can hear the music, but it's not supposed to be pleasant we hear. No, it is not. Now, it's still playing right now, and it plays all day, and it's not for customers to enjoy. It's meant to prevent people from loitering. At first, I didn't know what they were doing, but you know, now that I hear it, I, it's kind of annoying. Some customers don't welcome the music. It's played. Some stores <laughs> are trying a new security measure, classical music. At the Walgreens near Union and Pauline, classic music blasts through the parking lot all day. It is not for customers to enjoy, though. It is to make sure people do not loiter. At first, I didn't know what they were doing. It's kind of annoying. Some customers would prefer not to hear the music. It is played from Skycop camera in the parking lot and is so loud, many feel they could not hold a conversation or even hear themselves think. Well, first of all, I don't like opera or whatever they're playing. Millam said, I don't like that type of music. The store's manager said they started playing the music three months ago because there was groups of 10 to 15 people hanging around in the parking lot. The music is intended to make staying there unpleasant, and it has worked so far. Not just Memphis did that. Reno, Nevada, and yes, Hellscape, formerly known as San Francisco, where Nordstrom's just closed after 30 years. Yes. Safeway's classical music used to deter loitering turned off after disturbing nearby neighbors. A speaker in the parking lot of a San Francisco Safeway was playing music since February, report says, but has since been turned off. Complaints were pouring in after residents in one San Francisco neighborhood were hearing classical music blaring throughout the night. A speaker in the parking lot of the Safeway on Webster Street near Geary, I used to live not far from there, had been playing music since February, according to the San Francisco Chronicle. It's used to deter loitering. Over the weekend, the volume went up and stayed on overnight, but as of June 4th, the music has stopped playing. A Safeway spokesman says playing music is a common industry practice, but it's unclear why it's being played so loud. Some 7-Eleven store owners across the country have resorted to blaring classical and opera music to deter homeless individuals from loitering outside their stores. This has reportedly occurred in Austin, Texas, and in multiple California cities where the homeless crisis has jeopardized the safety of local residents and small business owners. Jag Patel, a 7-Eleven store owner in the Riverside neighborhood of Austin, recently started playing loud opera music to dissuade homeless people from hanging outside his storefronts who made customers feel unsafe. Fox 7 reported, after hearing about the measure from other owners, he started using it and says it is working. Studios have shown that class studies have shown that classical music is annoying. Opera is annoying, and I'm assuming they are correct because it's working, Patel told the outlet. But you know who did it first? No. That same Safeway in Seattle in 2007 that I used to work next door when I was president of Parents Trust for Washington Children, they stopped in 2008. They should have kept doing it, and they should have kept the piano player at Nordstrom's, and they probably wouldn't have all of these problems that we're talking about uh, now. Now, me being a movie fan, all this talk of classical music without playing this is wasted. Clip number three.
Okay, for those of you that can't see it, which is none of us, that's Wagner, Apocalypse Now. You're an errand boy sent by grocery clerks to collect a bill. Another thing in that neighborhood is Garfield High School. Remember this story? Well, maybe hearing my show calling out what a bad idea cutting funding for school music, even one as pro-underprivileged youth as the Quincy Jones one at Garfield High School, and how music has been proven to increase math scores and reduce violence, believe it or not. To help save a beloved middle school jazz program, Seattle Public Schools turned to one of its Grammy Award-winning former students for help. SPS, which is Seattle Public Shit, contacted Quincy Jones, a Garfield High School graduate and legendary music producer, for a donation after dozens of Washington Middle School students, parents, and educators asked the district to save the jazz band from budget cuts. Jones, a 28-time Grammy winner, gave the district $50,000. Thank you, Quincy. Me and my friend, when we got the news, we basically started jumping up and down and screaming. We were so excited, said Owen Hefter, an incoming seventh grader at Washington Middle. Budget cuts are forcing school district administrators to make hard decisions about which classes stay and go while the jazz band found benefactors Franklin High School's mock trial class has not. The class is being cut next year. Well, more musicians and less lawyers in the future. Can't be all bad, right? Speaking of musicians, do you know about Oliver Anthony, Steve? No, I do not. All right. Well, he's the young red-headed guy with the red beard, has been a modern-day Bob Dylan protest song who's unsigned, which is the way to go these days, and uh, made the Hot 100. His song, Rich Men North of Richmond, became a viral sensation earlier in this month of August. Uh, Here, listen to this, clip number four. I don't. Uh, I remember back in June, I played here for about 20 people. and uh... Country singer Oliver Anthony has quickly become a music sensation. He performed live in front of a massive crowd as his song, Richmond, North of Richmond, continues to top charts. These rich men, North of Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have total control. Anthony sang for a crowd filling 25 acres. That's the beautiful part of this country, though, is even an idiot like me can make something happen. So if I can do it, you can do it. Before he started the show, Anthony encouraged the crowd to sing along with him and shared a passage from the Bible. Psalm 37, 12 through 20. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. And the truth is, I really could give a shit less about the iTunes charts. What I care about is connecting with people. What I care about is... I don't, I don't know what this country is going to look like in 10 or 20 years if things don't change. I don't know what this world's going to look like. And... Like, something has to be done about it, you know? There's been too many people die. There's been too many people sacrifice everything they've had. People die before they even before they're even 18, you know? Just to, for us to all sit here and just do the stupid shit it is that we do every day that keeps us all all beat down and divided. Like that's what I want to see stop. And I'm going to do everything I can 
to influence that. All right. Anthony gets emotional when talking about the future of the country, including young lives that have been lost in senseless ways, saying everybody's got to get together and stop being so divisive. Something he says he's going to work to change. He told People Magazine, this is good stuff. It was a funny, it was funny seeing my song at the presidential debate, Anthony said on the Republican debate last week in Milwaukee, because it's like I wrote that song about those people. So for them to have to sit there and listen to that, that cracks me up. But it was funny kind of seeing the response to it. That song has nothing to do with Joe Biden. You know, it's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. That song is written about the people on that stage and a lot more to not just them, but definitely them. So it just proves that the big labels and movie studio era is done. And the time of the unsigned little guy doing it independently has arrived. Remember Jason Aldean's PR firm canceled him after 20 years over a tweet defending his wife and John Rich released an album this week, Unsigned. That's number one. Uh, before that on Truth Social and his song went number one. It's a new day and better music when artists get the gasp, get to be artistic. Yes. Black poverty skyrockets under Joe Biden. What? Clip number six. I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. It's personal, and it, it was actually very, it was hurtful. I would have to ask black voters the question, like, you know, why do the old white men, you know, who have the most racist legislation towards black people, why are they, you know, the top two frontrunners when it comes to black support? You know, Joe Biden and Bloomberg. President Trump does not take black people for granted. How do you feel about President Trump? I'm very honored and grateful that he was you know, signed the first step back. The same folks that voted for me voted for President Trump because President Trump made promises to the voters and he's Scott. keeping the promises. So without any question, if you look at his legacy, it will be his accomplishments in office, frankly, helping in many, many ways African-Americans. I heard President Trump's commitment uh, to the folks who are returning home. I heard the Okay, that's the big Trump promotion. Just the news reports, if economic trends persist, the historical low recorded under the Trump administration may stay in the rearview mirror. The nation, USA Today notes, has endured a two-year inflation spike that has eased somewhat but remains historically high. Just 33% of adults say they approve of his handling of the economy, according to a poll last month from the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. During an event marking 60 years since Dr. Martin Luther King delivered his historic I Have a Dream speech, Maryland Governor Wes Moore, Democrat, the first black governor of that state, said that too many people are working multiple jobs and still living below the poverty line. Democrats and their allies in the mainstream media have spent years accusing Republicans of being racist, yet it's hard to deny that black Americans struggles under the leadership of Democrats. Whether you look at the national poverty rate or within Democratic-run cities, it's hard to see how Democrats can claim to be the party of minorities, Matt Margolis of PJMedia.com said. And never forget, Ronald Reagan had over an 18% voting rate for the black community. If Trump could do that, he'll win. And if CNN or MSNBC didn't tell you, hell has frozen over. Last <laughs> clip. Last clip, number seven. Glenn Kessler from the Washington Post uh, had a fact check about Joe Biden uh, from earlier this month, um, noting that Hunter Biden admitted in court in July 
that he was in fact paid substantial sums uh, from Chinese companies. Kessler wrote, Hunter Biden reported nearly 2.4 million in income in 2017 and 2.2 million in income in 2018, most of which came from Chinese or Ukrainian interests. But this, and this directly goes against what Joe Biden said in the debate in 2020 uh, with uh, Donald Trump. Take a listen. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. What you None of that is true. He made a fortune in Ukraine, in China, in Moscow, that is simply and various not other places. True. So it's from two different debates, but, I mean, Trump was right. I mean, he did make a fortune from China, and Joe Biden was wrong. I don't know that he was lying about it. He might not have been told by Hunter, but this blind spot is a problem. It's a problem, one, because... One minute, only one minute. Trump was right, Biden was wrong. CNN's Jake Tapper, mark it down, August 18, 2023. It's getting hot in here. Did you know Jake's wife is Jennifer Marie Brown, a regional field manager for Planned Parenthood? Oh, they met on the John no. Kerry campaign. There you go. And this just in from the good folks at the CDC. It's called Risk Assessment Summary for SARS-CoV-2 Sublineage BA.2.86, August 23rd, 2023. I think I had this one. I sneezed the other day, so I must have had it. Um, I, I had to get a tissue and everything. No ventilator or remdesivir in an emergency room, thank goodness. But so... CDC has detected a new SARS-CoV-2 variant labeled BA.2.86. CDC is continually monitoring for new variants and studying their potential impact on public health. Current risk assessment. Based on what CDC knows now, existing tests used to detect and medications used to treat COVID-19 appear to be effective with this variant. BA.2.86 may be more capable of causing infection in people who have previously had COVID-19 or who have received COVID-19 vaccines. Oh, oh, oh. You caught that, Producer yes. Steve? Yes, Who I had do. vaccines, plural, like seven? <laughs> and I'm sure you know the medication Kaiser denied my refill for and what I had to stockpile from Canada and India Ivermectin, as of August 26th, again, the good scientist at the CDC, rapid increase in ivermectin prescriptions and reports of severe illness associated with use of products containing ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID-19. Ivermectin is a U.S. Food and Drug Administration FDA-approved prescription medication used to treat certain infections caused by internal and external parasites when used as prescribed for approved indications, it is generally safe and well-tolerated. Wait, what? Horse paste? Clip number eight. Pandemic continues. Many have taken steps to help beat the virus by wearing masks and getting vaccinated. However, some have sought alternative and sometimes dangerous treatments, including a drug called ivermectin, otherwise known as horse dewormer. Kelloland.com's Jacob Newton spoke with Beersford veterinarian Elise Rinalda. She says it's a bad idea. Is there any situation in which a person, um, to your knowledge, should take animal dewormer? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I mean, you're dealing with a 15, 1,200-pound animal compared to a 120-pound human. That concentration oh, alone, how it's delivered, even packaged and sent, um, is completely different. To read about the risks of humans. 
And Steve, thanks they've to been Judicial given, Watch. They've been given ivermectin <laughs> to missionary medical missionaries by the millions and millions and millions in third world countries, and it's helped so many people with their parasites. And thanks to Judicial Watch and their Freedom of Information uh, requests, we now have an appendix that reveals that in addition to distributing to the muscle site of injection, lymph nodes, and spleen, the mRNA particles also distribute to the bone marrow, brain, eyes, heart, liver, lungs, stomach, and testes. With that knowledge, would you take that vaccine, Steve? No, and as a matter of fact, can I plug the Florida show that's going to be on tomorrow? Sure. We just had a phenomenal interview, which we'll post tomorrow, with a gal who uh, talks all about the COVID-19 AI bioweapon and its ramifications and how to deal with it if you've got one. So that's a plug. Well, had they told us about the brain's eyes, heart, liver, lungs, stomach, and testes, that would be called informed, knowing exactly what it does to you. Nobody had informed consent that pharma companies committed fraud that should void all their product liability, immunity, and profits. Uh, what was it all for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. War. Mm -hmm. Any good lawyers out there? Stay tuned for my thoughts of the day. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. Hey, my name is Amy Souza. I am a women's rights activist uh, and workshop leader, and you are listening to the Mill Creek View podcast. Welcome to my quotes for the day. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View podcast. That's Tennessee, Florida, and Washington. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View, and subscribe and follow us. Be sure to check out the new business show every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. I really hope you like it. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Martin Luther King Jr., American civil rights leader. Human rights are not a privilege conferred by government. They are every human being's entitlement by virtue of his humanity. Mother Teresa, saint and missionary. Integrity is doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. C.S. Lewis. Tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. G.K. Chesterton. That's it for this episode. Hey, producer Steve and I are going on vacation, but never fear. We've got new content coming for you on a regular schedule, including Florida tomorrow, as you heard. So if you missed my CEO special or are new to the show, you'll get a special treat. But be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a single one. And of course, always available in the library on Podomatic and Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you, Kyla. 
and truckers against trafficking for doing what all private citizens should do, be vigilant to protect our children and our teens from evil forces now more than ever. Hey, 1977 was a very important year for me. Star Wars came out on the big screen. I was six and my grandmother from the old country didn't know what to do with her grandson. So she let me see it. Maybe a bit young, but it was a wonderful experience. Certainly brought joy to a sad time. Saw it 13 more times. She had to watch me because my dad was dying of leukemia and lost the fight uh, in October 1977. Mm. If he was a singer, I'd play something for you instead of this. But 1977 in August, where we are now, was also the year Elvis died. Uh, this month, 46 years ago and three months before dad. So let's go out on this uh, vacation edition with a little king. But before that, Priscilla, his wife, said it was August 16th, 1977, overcast and dreary, not a typical Southern California day, she wrote in her book, Elvis and Me. When I walked outside, there was a stillness, an unnatural calm in the air that I have not experienced since. I almost went back into the house, unable to shake my uneasiness. Yeah, that's pretty much how I felt for my dad. Elvis never thought that he would be remembered. That was his thing, she said. He said, you know, once I pass, nobody will remember me. And that really stuck with me. Throughout his fame, he was always asking, how long will this last? Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, Editor-in-Chief of Mill Creek View and mcview.us. Peace in our time and G2G. See you in September with new guests. Can't wait. Welcome to my world Won't you come on in Miracles, I guess Still happen now and then Step into my heart Leave your cares behind Welcome to our world Built with you in mind Knock and the door shall be open Seek and you will find Ask and you'll be given The key
Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.